Buying tickets to sports or concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way, a simpler way to buy. With SeatGeek, with their seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. Best of all, for our listeners, you get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek Geek purchase to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Comment, a.k.a. Kevin O'Backtrack. Kevin! Wow. You know, Verno, I, I look forward to that every Tuesday morning. I, I just find it's too funny. It's good. Good. How are you doing this morning? How's things? I'm doing well. Let's get that out of the way because I goofed about the Backtrack thing. Last week on our Ringer NBA Show... You were fired up about Tom Thibodeau. Now, maybe, listen, you were on the West Coast, probably didn't get a lot of sleep, not at home, right? <laughs> Sleeping in a hotel for a week. And then you wake up and you're surly and you're mad about Jimmy Butler playing 40 minutes on a back-to-back. And you say, you know what? Blow it up. Get rid of Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> and then <laughs> the ringer puts out a tweet quoting you saying i would fire tom <laughs> thibodeau tomorrow and immediately i see you respond to the tweet and you're like well actually i said that in haste and to, <laughs> hey to your credit you got some love for uh taking it back for saying hey that was an in the moment and so in this age of the hot take you i don't know how this works for you but somehow you come out on top on this all right okay with, with that with that thibodeau comment I support everything I said except for the first part. I think everything was fair, like ripping Thibodeau for the rotation, for kind of disregarding, you know, every study when it comes to minutes, health, and recovery. But the part about firing him was wrong, right? That part was wrong, and that part I shouldn't have said it. Should be more like really any other coach we might be talking about him being on the hot seat. The conversation would be a little bit different. But I think with Tibbs, it's really different because people kind of joke about it. They're like, oh, he plays his starters into, into the ground. But really, it's like, yeah, he does play his starters into the ground. And how can we make it better? So I think that's really what the conversation should be. And hopefully, you know, within the, within the Wolves organization, they're able to really effectively get to Tibbs to tweak his rotations that that's really i think what it should be because tibbs is a good coach he's a great basketball mind and he's super invested in his teams and that that's more than what i think every coach in all of sports can give like tibbs is all in right and maybe sometimes like that puts him into positions where he feels like he's going to play his best guys for 40 minutes but you really don't so hopefully he's able to evolve in the same way like a player can it's never too late to evolve when the ringer put your quote out there for the world to see did it make you have second thoughts about running around with the uh, backpack of dynamite that uh, you have on your back at all times? No, no, I, I only <laughs> usually say what I mean, but that, but that was really just kind of an in the moment thing. Like I, I always say what I mean, 
but but that was something where it was just a little a little too far and even like during the podcast after i said it i was like i was thinking to myself i probably shouldn't have said that i should have said that a different way while we're recording <laughs> but it is what it is you know I hope the Timberwolves are able to reach their potential because Carl Towns is too good. Wiggins can be too good. And Jimmy Butler is the man. That's for sure. All right. So let's get to what has happened since we last spoke. I've seen, I've seen a couple of teams uh, since we last spoke, but let's start with the Eastern Conference and what has gone on there. The first of which is over the course of the last week and then yesterday with the announcement of the Eastern Conference Player of the Week being Victor Oladipo, it now puts the Paul George trade back in the forefront because at the time that was roundly criticized. Um, people did not think that they got near enough value for, for Paul George. And now we look and it appears, uh, I think they are exceeding people's expectations. I think that's fair to say. Certainly, Oladipo is exceeding everybody's expectation by a pretty wide margin. And it is going to be no surprise if he is on the Eastern Conference All-Star team Meanwhile, Oklahoma City has really struggled to find any level of consistency so far. And so, oh, and by the way, and Sabonis has been very good too, right? The, a big change in his Terrific. game as he was for sure uh, miscast uh, in what they were trying to, how they were trying to use him in Oklahoma City. So now I ask you, um, and I know you're going to be writing something about Oladipo for this week. Is it? too soon to revisit the return that Indiana got given what uh, Victor has done so far. I think that trade, you know, at the time I said something along the lines like this is a no risk trade for Oklahoma city. And I also said that Victor Oladipo was a kind of essentially a salary dump. One of those statements was like dead ass wrong. And that was the second one. Oladipo wasn't a salary dump. He has turned into a very good player, but I still think that deal was the right deal for Oklahoma City to make, given their circumstances. Um, I, I still think Indiana probably should have gotten a draft pick out of that, given the, given the situation. But with that said, players can change, players can evolve. Paul George could leave in the summertime. You know, Victor Oladipo could turn into a star, which he has. So in that sense, I, I don't know if it's fair to question exactly what they gave up, maybe, as much as questioning you know i'm questioning myself i'm questioning you know some of the reaction to that deal and, and i'm questioning like the way we th we think about these deals because with oladipo you know tomorrow like on the article i have coming out it's really about how he transformed himself as a player through you know changing his diet through 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 changing his game and working working differently this summer than he has in the past and it's like this is a guy I had ranked number one in 2013. I loved him as a prospect. There was, this is a guy that w went second in the draft. You know, this is a guy through four years of his career had four different head coaches and four different systems. It's like there was so so little focus on his situation this summer. It's almost like a, a lesson. Next time a deal like this happens, th there's so much more to look at when assessing these deals at the time that they happen more than just the individual player. Because when you look at Oladipo, you see a guy that was plateaued, you know, across four seasons. But if you look at everything else, it's like, well, why did he plateau? So it's kind of, his development has kind of 
made me think a little bit differently when it comes to these trades that happen or these free agent signings that happen. Any decision because there's so much more that goes into a player's success or failure than just themselves. I don't know if that's more deep than you were looking for, but like that's the way I'm feeling about it. No, and there was something that we've talked about over the course of the last couple of years uh, on this show, <laughs> which sure. is which is sometimes with guys like it is very very difficult to make your sometimes it it could be four or five years into their career, and that's not I. I think in the past, especially when kids were in college more and prep basketball was a different situation than it is now, that after about three years, generally you could get a pretty good read on what a guy was going to become in the NBA or certainly after five years in. Your opinion was rather solid on what he was going to be or what he is. Uh, in the NBA. And that has changed dramatically. You know, it used to be that Chauncey Billups was an outlier. He was a guy that was highly drafted. And then it might be six, seven, eight years into the career before he becomes, you know, an all-star caliber player, a guy leading teams to uh, regular Eastern Conference Finals appearances, a guy that you know, is one considered one of the better players in the league. I was watching last night very late. I had on the uh, the Raptors Clippers game, and I believe at one point uh, towards the end of the game, Kyle Lowry went to the free throw line, and the announcers were talking about him. They're like, "This is a guy that did not make his first All Star appearance until I believe they said nine years into his career." Yep, real late bloomer. Yeah, and we talked about Tobias Harris right earlier this year when he was playing so well for Detroit, and I think it's just another example of, and I think that's what you know. If there's anything that's going to be able to change maybe the way we think in the future, it is that, hey, and especially, I mean, it was even worse with Sabonis, right? Any decision on what Sabonis was or was going to be as an NBA player was foolishness, right? Because you just, we don't know, right? We just don't know. And so what happened with him is, you know, a third of his shots were threes last year. And now 6% of them are threes. And guess what? He's a guy with great footwork, awesome post moves, and he's finishing everything within three feet of the basket at an insane clip, which is exactly what he should be doing, right? Like there are times where he's going to be unplayable or not useful, but he's still an extremely useful player that they figured out how to use his skill set in Indiana. And the other thing on Oladipo is this. He is also a different player this year of which I'm, I know you're going to be touching on. Um, Kevin Pelton wrote about it, I guess it was about a week ago. And I, I recall reading that he he was talking about his off the dribble, like pull up threes, right? A guy, um, and that how that can affect an offense and how much, uh, how much better Oladipo has gotten at it. Um, obviously his usage has gone way up, but anyway, the, in in the course of the article, he said he has already hit uh, hit more pull up threes off the dribble than he had all of last year in Oklahoma City, and this was like twenty games into the season, which is rather incredible. And he clearly got much 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 better at doing that. And so, I don't know, man. I mean, he is he he is having a outstanding season. And I think when people saw across the bottom line that he scored forty seven, it's like whoa 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 whoa. Even if we thought he was going to be really good, a guy that drops 47, you know, 
I think, you know, with Oladipo, I mean, it's the, the, the big part of it is certainly his three-point shooting off the dribble. That, that's a significant part of it. Some of the other stuff, you know, the, I don't want to like go into everything like with the article, but really, I would say a lot of it has to do with his body. He's changed his body. Really, I think, took a different approach to attacking drills, uh, working with different trainers, um, working with different gyms. There, there, was, there was a lot that went into his summer. And it's funny because like three years ago, we were talking about the 2013 draft class is one of the worst draft classes in history. Michael Carter-Williams winning Rookie of the Year, but it's, that that's like it, it's the perfect example of why you can't judge a class. You can't judge a player, like you said, with Sabonis after one season. You look back at that class now, you get Giannis Antetokounmpo, C.J. McCollum, Rudy Gobert, Otto Porter, Steven Adams, Dennis Schroeder. You get some really good players, and then you guys get guys like Alan Crabb, Cody Zeller, Nerlens Noel, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kelly Olynyk, Gorgie Jang, Tim Hardaway. You got a lot of good talent. It's not a great draft, but it's got some you know really good talent. And now you have Oladipo potentially rising to the top five of a redraft for that class. It's just it, it, it's it's fascinating because I think with Oladipo. So much of it had to do with his his own game taking a different approach this summer, but also had to do with the situation. I mean, Indiana is the first team that's really put him into a situation for him for for him to be himself. In Orlando, he kind of transitioned between being a point guard and a shooting guard, and then they drafted Alfred Payton, and they ha- and they invested in Evan Fournier, and then in Oklahoma City, he's playing next to Russell Westbrook, the highest usage player ever, and that's and putting Oladipo off ball is kind of the opposite of what you want to do. You want to be integrating him. As a lead ball handler, and he wasn't able to do that in Oklahoma City. He didn't have many transition opportunities. He didn't have those chances to really attack the rim because of Westbrook. And that's not a fault of Oladipo. It's not a fault of Westbrook. It's just what the situation was. And now he's in a spot really at the perfect time of his career when he did have the best summer that he's ever had in terms of working and improving, getting into the best shape of his life. It's not a cliche. It's the truth. And he's finally got the opportunity. And what's happening? He's dropping 47 on the Nuggets in overtime. Dude's beasting. And I think it's for real. I mean, I know I know there's probably like a lot of doubt that it might be for real. But thing is, man, everything he put into this summer and everything he's shown, I think it's sustainable. And I think this is a new player. Also, great head on his shoulders. I was a huge fan of his in college. No doubt. Much, much, much like you were. And I actually had an ch- opportunity to meet him. Uh, before he was going into the NBA draft, because Victor signed with uh, Raymond Brothers, who at the time, two of Raymond's biggest clients were Tony Allen and Zach Randolph. So he was around here a lot. And I recall him bringing in Victor once upon a time here, because I think people thought that maybe it's weird to look back when a guy is scoring 47. But at the time it was OK. The the floor on this guy is that he has a chance to be like Tony Allen, which is have a decade-long career as just an elite defender that was going to be like even if he even if he's not some kind of great offensive player he can be that um and now of course he's known as this at least for this last week this offensive juggernaut but he is a great great kid great kid for sure no doubt that was one of the most appealing parts of him, right? I I talked to Tom Crean at Oladipo's head coach in Indiana and, and like he just Everybody raved about Oladipo's character, but Tom Crean especially. It's understandable why Oladipo has turned into the player he is, and that's because the work he puts in and the mindset that he has. Well, you know, and you know what? One thing that is because it's all about Oklahoma City and the deal that they made, which we're going to touch on that here in a moment. But you know what? What's been forgotten in all of this? Think about the way he was first discarded 
Orlando, which was for basically a disastrous Serge Ibaka tenure in Orlando, right? Like that was a that was terrible, forgettable. Yeah, for sure. And it and it made them no better. And it was it was just a that was a catastrophe for sure. And it's one of those things where we talk about the team that bottoms out. Like they're the fan base that should be most despondent, I believe, because it's like. We've said many times, okay, they've been bad and bad and bad and bad, and what do they have to show for it? When you look and you go, all right, what do we build around here? It's pretty clear that the choice should have been him, right? Like, that's who they should have built with in mind, at least, or be part of a core going forward. And so, who knows? Maybe Jonathan Isaac will turn out to be really good. Aaron Gordon has certainly taken a a big leap this year in individual production, But I think that in the case of take a few, you know, take a couple steps back and say, all right, who should we identify as our young core going forward in order to build around? Oladipo should be there. Like, that's a mistake. It just is. And maybe he would not have fulfilled his potential there. I don't know. But they certainly, in retrospect, um, got very, very little to show for what turns out to be a really good player. That was a bad deal in the beginning, kind of almost an inverse of the Oklahoma City deal where the OKC deal, I feel like everybody raved about it, but that Orlando trade was kind of like, well, what exactly are they doing? The question, I mean, it seemed like they were a rebuilding team and then they suddenly were trying to push for the playoffs. And sometimes when you do that is when you get yourself into trouble and that's what happened with them. Let's say Tobias Harris does make the uh, all-star game. He, he certainly for a long time there is when their record was much better before they went on this recent swoon, he had a shot at it given the numbers he was being put up. And just imagine that. I mean, you're a friggin' magic fan and you're watching Victor Oladipo and Tobias Harris (laughs) make the all-star team. And both of them were on your team at one point. Like what? It's crazy. They got new management now. And hopefully the guy who once upon a time built up Milwaukee will be able to do it for magic fans going forward. Let me talk about the other side, and I have been I've been one of those, you know, from the very beginning that was high on the opportunity that Oklahoma City had, that it's going to take time, chemistry doesn't come overnight, but when they figure it out, that that team has the opportunity to be very, very dangerous. I saw them in person over the weekend, Kevin, and obviously I've seen them on TV several times this year. I really don't know if it's going to come together. They were without Paul George in the game that I saw. I've seen them with Paul George also. Uh, I really don't know if it's going to come together like I once viewed. And it feels like that we're not far off from the real blame game happening with them. I mean, you're already starting (laughs) to see some of the articles come out. I did wonder if, if Billy Donovan will be the one that is to blame for this, but it's it's a little bit different because sometimes when we have seen these guys be put together to form one of these uh, trios, they're typically not like coming up on decision time, right? But we know that they've got like a year to make this work, and now you're a quarter of the way through said year. But you watch them, and they're just not good. They're just not, and their depth is just atrocious. So. Those three guys, they those three guys, like those three guys together, they don't have to be good. They have to be amazing because there's nothing else. Nothing. 
you might get something from Adams. You might get something from uh, A. Breen's. But other than that, they've got very, very little. And so those three guys have to simultaneously all be great. And it might just be the wrong mix. It's the first time that I had serious doubts because I have been one that said, eh, it's just going to work out. And maybe in the end, you could have a bull scenario, right? Which is last year we looked at it and we said, we knew this was going to be a bad fit. It has been a bad fit. And then when they got to the playoffs, they looked like a radically different team, at least until Rondo went down. And I suppose, you know, I'll always leave that door open a little bit. But in terms of like them putting it together in this regular season and me looking up and they've won 10 of 12, I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. I think they're going to have a bad (laughs) seed by the time it's all said and done. Well, maybe not just because of the West, right? If you win six in a row now, like you'd probably be the friggin' four seed. <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want to say that. But they're certainly not going to be in contention for one of the highest seeds. That's for certain. I was thinking last night about an article I wrote in late November. The Thunder have a Russell Westbrook problem, where it's like kind of evergreen contents. Where mm-hmm. you know Oklahoma City, I think it still comes down to him. He played fairly well statistically last night. Uh, I just think ultimately. It comes down to his willingness to change, right? I think it's, it's, you can, you can fairly blame Billy Donovan for not effectively integrating the system. You can fairly blame Sam Presti for not putting together the right bench pieces. You can't, you can look at Carmelo Anthony and blame him for not willing to adapt. You can blame maybe Paul George for having some of the really bottom level games on offense, but also he's had some highs too. You can, you could blame everywhere. I think, I still think ultimately, the tone setter in the organization is Russell Westbrook. Um, Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown put together a great video the other day that looked at Westbrook off ball. That's something I mentioned in my article as well, where it's like when Westbrook gives the ball up, he doesn't do anything. Like he falls off the screens sometimes when you're watching games. And that, and it's just in, indicative of really his uselessness when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. For Oklahoma City to be what they can, and this is something an NBA executive said to me before the season, and he thought they were going to be really good, right? But but his kind of um, qualifier was the team needs to be good off ball, right? They need their guys to move and to set screens with purpose, to run through screens with purpose, to just move and make reads, you know, effectively. And that hasn't happened at all. It, it, it's like they just take turns playing isolation. It's very rare that you see them run a really nice set in the, in the half court. And maybe that's something they do develop over the course of the season. Maybe the team needs to fail in order to succeed later. And perhaps by April, when they are, you know, on the verge of making the playoffs as a six seed or the seven seed, maybe at that point you're thinking to yourself, they could be a really, really tough out. They could be really hard to get out for whoever that three seed is. Because I'm not willing to give up on them. I'm not willing to no, give up. No, I'm not gi- I'm not giving up on them. I'm just saying they're going to be up against it. They're gonna have to be much better come playoff time. Oh, no doubt. Um, because this is for it, sure. It's it's a weird mix for sure. Okay, so you remember when they tried to throw together the Kobe thing with Dwight and, and, and Nash, and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and like, you know, it's like this famous like old takes exposed level cover yeah. where it's, yeah. this is going to be, gonna be fun. Yeah. This is going to be fun or whatever. And it was uh, <laughs> quite the opposite of fun. Right. But I hearken back to that. And I wonder, you know, when Kobe had, it, it was Kobe and Shaq, obviously. And then it was Kobe and Pal Gasol were probably, those were the two consistent all-stars on that team. 
and they had other good players, but but they fell into roles. And there was one clearly dominant player, one that was the the Robin to the Batman, and then there were role players around them. And I do kind of think that that's how Westbrook is best built around, if that makes sense. That when you have a guy like that, that he is going to be so dominant with the ball. So having one other guy is fine, but having two becomes a much greater challenge um, because of the way he plays. And and it worked with Kobe. Like Everybody can slander Kobe however they want to. This guy got rings, and this guy is one of the greatest players to ever step on a basketball court. And the way th- it was almost like if you put two big stars with him, that ain't going to work real good. But if you had one and we saw uh, it work. I don't know. We saw it work with Westbrook and Durant for a long time, man. I mean, we did. Say what you want. That worked. But was Durant around Westbrook or was Westbrook around Durant? What does that mean? Westbrook was always the Robin to Durant's Batman. That's a good point, Isaac. I don't know if that's true in terms of uh, people fought that for a long time. I mean, usually people jumped on Westbrook for being a guy that took too many shots or took away from uh, Durant. Because he, he did. Because he did. Someone someone put up a poll on Twitter, and forgive me, I forget who did it, but the question was something along the lines of, would Oklahoma City be better now with Chris Paul instead of Russell Westbrook? And it's like, yeah, they would. They would be better with him, just like they would have been better with those Durant teams with Chris Paul rather than Westbrook, too, because Chris Paul's a better point guard, and he's a better fit next to a superstar players like that. To me, the Carmelo one feels like the mistake. I don't know. I mean... I understand what you're saying, like putting two ISO players together like that. And Carmelo does need to change. He needs to adapt. And he's shooting a lower, lower than normal three point percentage. I'd rather have the depth. The thing is, is like, it still comes back to Westbrook for me. Like, even if you're playing with just one other star player, are you going to make yourself a threat? Paul George is terrific running off screen, something he did super effectively in, in, in Indiana. And he's brought it to Oklahoma City. Carmelo Anthony needs to change. He's a great spot up shooter, at least. And, um, it's with Westbrook. When he doesn't have the ball in his hands, how does he make himself a threat to help open up the floor for his superstar teammates? And he doesn't do that. He's useless off ball. And that's something that Billy Donovan hasn't been able to get through to him. Scotty Brooks wasn't able to get get it through to him. So I don't know. Is it those coaches? Are they to blame? Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe it is their fault for not effectively getting it through to him. But maybe it's Westbrook's fault. And I think, I think it's ultimately up to him for him to t- elevate that team. He needs to set the tone defensively. Needs to take a little bit lower usage on offense unless he needs it, unless the game des- desires that from him. And then he needs to make himself more of a threat off ball. I think those three things happening would kind of set the tone for this team to play a different style of basketball. Then maybe Carmelo Anthony falls along. Then maybe, then maybe everything starts falling into place. And then maybe you don't have to really short your bet. Maybe then you're not thinking about making that Carmelo trade because you're happy with the kind of group you have with the depth you have instead of thinking you need another star player. I don't know. I'm just saying, yeah. I think it all comes back to Westbrook. Well, we could keep saying he's go- he needs to change. He needs to change. He needs to do this. But I look at it, like I said, much like the Kobe thing. And I think about through the prism of how do I build, if this guy is my best guy, what's my best way to build around him? And to me, I'd pair him with one other elite-level player and then other good players around them rather than two. I think that might be the, I think that might be the trick. 
But we'll see how it plays out uh, in, in the you know in the coming uh, weeks, months, and and maybe even when you get to the uh, when you get to the playoffs. But right now they have they've not looked very good. <laughs> That's for certain. One last stat, Chris. This, this mm-hmm. is from Zach Cram from TheRinger.com. He tweeted this out last night. Of the thirty-three players who were taking at least fifteen shots per game. Russell Westbrook ranks 33rd in field goal percentage. Carmelo Anthony ranks 32nd. And Paul George ranks 30th. I think that says all you need to know about that. Yeah, that's team. absolutely incredible. Hey, and let me let me just add one more thing. To your point about the off-the-ball thing, my buddy was telling me last night, I was having a conversation about Oklahoma City and Westbrook and um, what I had seen a few nights ago from that team. And he asked me, he said, have you heard Zach's podcast yet? Our buddy, Zach Lowe. I suppose on his, I have not gotten to hear it yet, but on his podcast, I believe with uh, Arnovitz, he had this stat that he mentioned. He said, how many times do you think Russell Westbrook has set a screen for Carmelo Anthony this year? And the answer and was zero. 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 Yep. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that is like, I, mean, I don't, you even... know, it's crazy. Cause like in my article I mentioned earlier, it's like he, there's a stat where it's like similar where he had one screen assists all like, of last season wow. compared to only four so far this season. I mean, last year, Curry had over 100 screen assists, mm. granted different players, different system, but I, I think it shows the complete disparity in, in how far removed Westbrook is from that type of player. I think he can just be so much more than he is right now. A couple other teams to touch on in the Eastern Conference. Um, Until last night's late loss to the Clippers, Toronto had really been rocking recently, and I had the opportunity to see them also and and talk to their uh, TV announcer extensively, uh, Matt Devlin. And one of the things that I gathered from watching them is during the playoffs last year, you and I talked about kind of their Achilles heel in 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 some cases which is they had one of their stars they played so much isolation basketball and that one of their stars in DeMar DeRozan who is an outstanding individual scorer if you ran a double team at him unlike LeBron it, when he's getting the ball away it wasn't like he was setting other guys up um and now just watching him you're talking about He's averaging over five assists a game, I believe now. Um, And he has really transformed himself. And certainly that team has transformed themselves completely in in the way that they play. Um, Just a few nights ago, I I recall uh, it was like four games in a row. They went like 126, 110, 126. I mean, they're really putting up some serious points they are one of the few teams i believe along with golden state and houston that are top 10 in both offense and defense uh they are fun to watch uh you see lowry off the ball more and they uh i i think you got to give big credit to Dwayne casey because he has uh he has transformed that team into the quote new nba and uh and I think they're going to be a very difficult out come uh, Eastern Conference playoff time. They have been a uh, they've been a regular contributor in the Eastern Conference playoffs, but I don't know, man. I really liked what I saw when I saw them, and they they've got real depth um, with a bunch of good players now. What do you think? 
got to give credit to Casey, but also got to give credit to those players for yes. their willingness to change and adapt. It's kind of the opposite of the Westbrook conversation where Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, you know, I think they've sacrificed a little bit to change their games um, to really, I think, play the motion, more motion uh, modern style that they're playing. It's it's been beautiful to watch. Um, they've been they've been such a fun fun team to watch. Having young players kind of rise up, like OG and Anobi, turning into a guy that you can lean on and feel confident about for playing for thirty minutes. Uh, we mentioned Sher- Sergi Baca <laughs> earlier in the context of the Orlando trade, but he's been pretty solid with Toronto. He's kind of returned a little bit to back to what he was in Oklahoma City. They, they have. They've put together a really good team, and Casey's done a good job of putting those guys in positions to succeed. And even then, I mean, like last night, Kyle Lowry shot 0 for 8 from 3. Um, I think on a normal night, they're probably winning that game, and they're still rolling on that win streak. It was just an unfortunate night for them. Uh, I still think they have room to improve, too, because Kyle Lowry, he had a terrific end of November. Um, actually, the entire month was pretty great, but this month he's kind of slipped back a little bit. So I think with Lowry, once he kind of finds that consistency within his new role, I think this team could be even better. Yeah, I don't want to deal it too much in hyperbole, but I must tell you that um, I know you've been very high on OG. And so I was I was keenly aware of him and I wanted to see what I thought uh, once you see him up close and personal. And do you know who he reminded me of? And again, don't I don't I don't want people out there being like, what the hell? He's not going to. In the moment, I can't deny my feelings. I watched him. And I saw Iguodala, and I don't think he's going to be that, right? I'm not saying, listen, Iguodala is one of the, is an outstanding player. He was a great player with the Sixers. Um, He's won a finals MVP for God's sakes. But I'm saying like the stuff that he kind of brings to the table and the frame, and if he puts on a little more muscle, he is, he is a very good athlete. He runs around screens and just the, I don't know I, that that too flashed before me when I when I watched him that it, it reminded me of like a young Andre Iguodala and who knows what his ceiling will end up being but man I liked what I saw he certainly got the tools to be really really good I don't know about Iguodala because the ball handling and playmaking factor yeah. but defensively I know what you mean with like that versus that's what I mean right and I think that that, yeah. that intensity I mean I, I know in, in our draft guide uh, we had Shane Battier as a, as a best case scenario for him Trevor Ariza kind of another comp Alfaruk Aminu I think you know a versatile defender who hits spot up threes as a baseline and then we'll see how he evolves from there. I, I think I think he could be more than that, depending on how his ball handling develops, depending on how he's able to improve as a scorer. But I think what he is now, he's one of those rookies where you can say, if he didn't get any better from what he is now, he'd still have a 10-year NBA career. I think that's like one of the best compliments you can give a young player. At the very minimum, he is going to be a hellacious wing defender. No doubt. And beyond that... It stands to reason, like, I'm always super impressed when I see rookies and you can't tell they're rookies. Like, if, if, you, if you were in the stands and, and unless somebody told you that that kid is playing one of his first 30 games in the NBA, you would have no idea. None. He fits <laughs> yeah. right in yep. immediately, which is a real credit to him. And the other thing, just real quickly on them, I recall I had a, there was a baseball team uh, several years ago, and I, I think, I want to say it was like the Padres, and they started off with this amazing record. I had a baseball analyst on my show at the time, and I was talking to him about, you know, what is the deal here? Because they didn't have a lot of big names or big stars per se, but they were really, really good. 
And he said, because like, in the age of analytics, everybody was always looking for the undervalued thing. What is undervalued at this point? And I remember him saying to me, the trick with them, and I don't know why this has stuck with me for so many years. He said, the trick with them is nobody sucks. And I was like, what? And he's like, it sounds simple. And he's like, but maybe that's the new undervalued. He's like, nobody on their team sucks. They got to sit a guy on Tuesday. Their utility infielders are great. If they need to have a, a like up and down the line, they don't have <laughs> the biggest stars in the world. And I don't know why that stuck with me for so long, but it ran through my mind when I'm watching the Spurs that I'm like, I don't think I've ever watched a game and gone, that guy sucks. And that's what happened to me with <laughs> Toronto. Hey, I swear, it, and it sounds so simple. But then when I was watching Toronto, I'm sitting there and I'm like, none of these guys suck. And there's so many teams. Like I watched Oklahoma City and I was like, this lineup, like every guy in this lineup that they were rolling out there at the time. And Raymond Felton has gained the weight back. And it was like Kyle Singler. That was like all that. I'm like, God, this is atrocious. (laughs) Right? But then like Toronto brings their guys in. And it's like Van Fleet and it's Pascal and it's it's all these guys. And I'm like, like, none of these guys suck. And so I wonder if maybe there is some infinite wisdom in that in like, just limit the amount of guys on your team that suck. I I look at it. I look at it in a similar way. Um, It's like. I was talking to one of my friends about about the Celtics. This Celtics roster and with this Raptors roster and with the Spurs roster, there's there's like no players that you dislike, right? Yeah. There's not a player yeah. that you dislike on a team, on the team, right? You're not you're not cringing when a certain player comes into the game because you have confidence for each player to excel. Um I th- I think I think whether it's the don't suck test or the likability test that can be a good barometer for your team for your depth but it's hard it's easier said than done to put those rosters together all right let's touch on two teams very quickly uh we'll wrap up the east and at least the weekend news and that is two teams that have fallen back you've had the bucks that have surged we've had the pacers that have surged um toronto obviously until last night's loss to uh the clippers but two teams that are now on the outside or one team that is uh, tailing off and is now at the bottom of the playoff standings in the East and one that has fallen out. First, the Detroit Pistons, losers of six in a row at this point. Um, maybe, just maybe, they were outperforming uh, what they should be a little bit earlier in the year, but certainly losing six in a row is not something we would have expected. Is there a uh, cause for concern with Detroit in your mind? Um, yes, uh, it's, it's concerning in the sense that they were a team where everything that they were doing, um, suddenly has kind of dissipated. Um, I think mm-hmm. with Detroit, we have a situation where they, they quickly have regressed to the mean, right? Um, they have quickly become the team that we thought they were right. And there's also the, as people on Reddit will attest, there's the Danny Chow curse, the ringer curse where ever, ever since we posted an article saying the Pistons are back or whatever, whatever the headline was, they have not won a game. <laughs> so that is always a possibility as well. Um, but it's disappointing because <laughs> uh, they have a lot of good talent, but it's just not, it's not clicking like it does anymore. Reggie Jackson has regressed 
Tobias Harris, you mentioned earlier this season that he was like an all-star. He is not an all-star in recent weeks. They're just not the same team that they were early in the season. All right. And your beloved Philadelphia 76 My beloved. Lost My four beloved in a row, Sixers. Four and six in their last 10 games. Out of the playoffs, Yeah, too. on the outside looking in right now, are you concerned about the 76ers? I want to say no, because they're a 500 team, and I mean... Can any anybody really have expected more than that from them? 500 roster. Yes, maybe you could have expected that, but at the same time, you know, Embiid missed two of the games that they lost, and he's integral to their success. So it's, you know, they're kind of where I think a lot of people thought they were going to be at. 500. A little bit. I think they'll end up a little bit over 500. So no, not too worried. They just, they've just hit a skid. That's all. Yeah, it's really the two games that they lost to to Phoenix and L.A. And obviously the L.A. one was a yeah, massive those were Ingram. Weird. It, I mean, that was an Ingram shot. That was a. I mean, that's a huge shot. Be interesting to see. They play. They play Minnesota tonight. It's a. It's actually a ESPN game. That's going to be fun. That'll be Embiid and Towns. Hopefully, the Wolves are playing a maximum of like thirty six minutes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got to uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll cover some of the uh, Western Conference topics that have taken place since Kevin and I last spoke. NBA show brought to you by Stitch Fix. If you're like a lot of guys, you think of a million things you'd rather be doing than shopping for clothes. Between the parking and the crowds at the mall, the endless browsing, and the lack of advice online, it's enough to make you want to rock the same t-shirt and jeans forever. But you can't, so let me tell you about Stitch Fix Men. They've reimagined how to find and buy clothes, and you never even have to leave the house. It's that easy. Just go to stitchfix.com, tell them your sizes, your favorite type of clothes, and how much you want to spend. Five items are delivered right to your door. You try them on at home, and you only pay for what you keep. And there's no subscription required. It's easy. The shipping is free. So why not give them a try? I promise you'll be hooked. Guys, I actually did this. I, di- I signed up for Stitch Fix Men. I was a little skeptical, but I went in. I answered all of their questions. I put in all of my sizes. And then they kind of uh, looked at what kind of stuff you like. You decide, like, hey, do you like this shirt or do you like this shirt? It was it's actually pretty fun to, to, to go through and look at, at it all. And I got the first box at the house, and I found, I think, three of the five things I absolutely loved. And then two of them, one of them didn't fit. One of them wasn't, uh, wasn't all that crazy about. But I just literally put it back in the bag. I put it in my mailbox. It sent right back to them. And then they charged me for the stuff that I keep. And I've gotten probably, I don't know, four, uh, I think three or four of them now. And I've kept a bunch of the stuff that they have sent me. I mean, they've sent me pants. They've sent me jackets. They've sent me shirts. And I'm not one that likes to go to the store and try on a bunch of stuff. Th- this thing, it really is fantastic, especially because of the, the free shipping there and back. You just get to like shop at home and they send you a bunch of cool clothes and you get to decide what you want to keep. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash NBA and you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash NBA to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash NBA. It's that time of year again when the days are shorter. Don't waste your precious daylight sifting through a sea of search results when looking for the right business software. Go home on time tonight with captera.com. 
Whether you're a startup looking to better track customers, a nonprofit hoping for a record fundraising year, or a business that simply needs better payroll software, you need software, and Captera's got you covered. Search Captera's 400 categories of software. Discover the right tool for your business, anything from email marketing to scheduling to accounting and beyond. Captera makes it easy to find what you're looking for. They've got thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users just like you. Best of all, using Captera is absolutely free. 2018 is going to be here before you know it, so make sure you've got the software your business needs today to help you do what you do better. Join the millions who use Captera. That's Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash NBA. Captera dot com slash NBA. All right, Kevin, regarding the Western Conference, uh, the Houston Rockets have been the story of the conference for sure. They've got a 10-game winning streak going on. Uh, they've got a point differential of plus 11. They are very highly ranked in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. They are 21-4 and four on the season thus far, and I read yesterday they have not lost a game that Chris Paul has performed in. Like, what are we talking about in terms of possible win total here because this uh it's juxtaposed versus the Oklahoma City thing that we talked about but damn man like they integrated Paul and then he went out and then he came back into the mix and it's made it's made no difference along the way and now I think you have to look and go geez you thought it might take a little time just to figure it out um but through 25 games they are 21 and 4 I know you've gotten to see him in person uh, a couple times this year, and you have written about them. You were very, very high on their possibilities coming into the year. Uh, what are we thinking about this last 10-game win streak? And do you think it's logical for people to think that the Warriors are going to ha- uh, could have a real problem with them? Because that's really the question here, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of people that say in the end, it's stupid. It's all it's a foregone conclusion, no matter. Are at least uh, what Houston has done and what Kawhi, uh, the Kawhi-less Spurs have done so far, are they at least uh, through a quarter of the season giving you creeping doubts that it is a foregone conclusion that Golden State will be there at the end? It's not a foregone conclusion. I think because of Houston's ability to do a couple of things. I mean, for one, they can match up. They have they have a roster with versatile wings and versatile forwards that can match up defensively. They have superstar players like Chris Paul and James Harden who are incredibly difficult to defend in pick and roll or isolations. They have guys who can effectively space the floor offensively. They can play small if they want to with P.J. Tucker at the five. Uh, they can play big with Clint Capella at the five. Or they can put Ryan Anderson at the five if they want a shooting five. They can play different types of styles. But also, you know, with their three-point shooting, it's something that Daryl Morey mentioned in an interview last year. He said something like, to beat the Warriors, you need to have higher variance with your three-point shooting. And what we've seen recently over the streak and, and over the whole season, for that matter, with Houston, is they have quarters or stretches of games where they just are unstoppable. Because their defense is so good, and because they're so lethal in transition, and because they're still so hard to stop in the half court, where they just drop 40 40 on you easily in a quarter. And when you have those highs, it gives you an opportunity to get back in games or to build leads, regardless of the opponent. So I think Houston, I think they certainly are a threat to Golden State. Um, I, I think obviously Golden State is still the favorite. I think anybody would still favor them in a series, but at the same time, 
Houston has significantly closed the gap. I mean, do you, do you feel the same as me with that, Chris? Or or is it still like, is it still a situation where Golden State still has more guys um, than Houston does? So naturally, they still have a significant advantage. The latter, because here's the thing: these guys also fair or unfair. They got to come up huge in a big playoff series, and we have seen over the course of their careers. Both of those guys have extremely puzzling elimination games, both Paul and Harden. When the stakes have been the highest in their careers, they have not delivered. That That's the truth. Um, I also want to say that I get a lot of the, you know, uh, oh, what the, you know, you're a Houston hater or whatever. Let me just, uh, <laughs> I'm going to admit this, okay? So, Kevin, they're 21-4, right? Okay? Two of those losses are to the Grizzlies, <laughs> okay? So, oh, boy. <laughs> no, but it is hard for you to see the whole, right? Like, when those are the games that you most intensely paid attention to, right? Now, in the end, it, in retrospect, it looks hilarious, right? Because the, the Grizzlies can't win a game. And... But of their four losses, two of them that I was at, I watched that I watched that team in person and clearly not their best performances <laughs> or even close to their best performances, given what they have done through the rest of the league. So I got uh, actually one one of them. They won one of them. They lost uh, that uh, of the two times that I saw them in person so far this year. Um, they are dynamite. But in terms of believing in them when the stakes are the highest, um, the two that I still have to believe in the most are San Antonio and Golden State, just because of the history of winning when it mattered most. And and I'll tell you this, I said this last week, Kev, San Antonio being seven or 19 and eight without Kawhi Leonard, and you're about to throw Remarkable. him into that mix, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what happened? I mean, they're eight and two in their last 10. They won four in a row. They're 19 and eight and they don't have Kawhi Leonard. And so what happens when he gets back into the mix? I mean, they are, they are two, two and a half games back from Golden State and three back from Houston. And they haven't had one of the top five players in the NBA playing for them. Ginobili had a great tweet you know, yesterday about that. He, he said one third of the season already gone. Astonished emoji. Proud to see the at Spurs with over 70% in the wins column without our best player. Hashtag go Spurs go. And then clapping, two clapping emojis to, to end it. And, and it's the truth. It's like, it's amazing that this team is so great without Kawhi Leonard, a guy a ton of people were picking as the MVP this season. The yep. guy who got some MVP votes last season, a guy who is undisputedly one of the best players in our game. It, it's it's remarkable what they've done. And somehow, you know, it, it's so weird because Kawhi being out until mid-December now has not been talked about. Like, we have barely talked about it on this show. I barely see anybody talking about it when I turn on the TV, when I look on Reddit, when I look on Twitter. There is so very little conversation about the fact that the Spurs are slaying teams that they are winning their 19-8 and eight without Kawhi. It's, it's, it's probably 
I mean, I'm thinking to myself right now, like, damn, why didn't I write about that? I'm thinking that right now. It's like the spur. It's like the it's most Spurs crazy. thing ever, though, right? Yeah. The most Spurs is. thing ever is for them to be without their best guy, and nobody even gives a shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> right? like, I mean, I, know. I mean, nobody ever cares. There, you know, it's not some kind of big topic of conversation. It's not the kind of thing that gets all kinds of clicks. Yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, now Kawhi, Le- Kawhi Leonard's going to be. Uh, I know. Oh, he's gonna yeah. be back in the it's like, mix, oh, Spurs, right? Spurs, nineteen and eight. Oh yeah, they don't have Kawhi. Oh really? Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, whatever. They'll get him yeah, back, th- and they'll be great again. You the know, guy it's, that it's Michael wild. Jordan dubbed the best two-way player in the entire NBA. That's what they get back, dude. It, it, it's wild. It's wild. They're saying tonight. Yeah, tonight he should be right? back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Did you read Chuck's article yesterday on how LeBron should go to the Rockets? Because I'm thinking, I think LeBron. Like everybody's talking about rockets but what about the spurs too the spurs feel like they would be a cool place for lebron oh good grief he's going to los angeles isn't that what everybody's always said he's going to los angeles like yeah he's, he's coming to the clippers yeah, that's yeah. what's happening I, yeah in your dreams isaac <laughs> well, you know he's he's big into all that production stuff and whatnot right like he fancies himself as becoming like a a, a real mogul and everybody knows he's already got the mansion yeah. out there two he has two of them two mansions in LA. Oh, all right. Well, he's got two mansions. You know, he's like getting into, you know, television and movie production. Um, he's already done some acting so far. And so I think that, I think most people have thought, like, I, I that the reason beyond basketball, but the reason that maybe he ends up closing out a career there is that he gets a couple of his buddies to go with him out there. And, uh, like, I mean, he might be able to get Chris. Seriously. Like, what if the Rockets I don't, don't know. win? What if the I mean, it's always win? a possibility. You can you you can never rule anything out, right? Yeah. Charks Charks laid out a great argument though for for LeBron to Houston and and I think I think if I if I were LeBron James, I would do one of two different things. My first choice would be to go to the Lakers now, right, and to assemble my own super team. Bring Paul George, bring Demarcus Cousins, whoever the superstars are. That that's what would be my first choice. But it's not a bad second option to you know try to take a pay cut to go to Houston, play with Chris Paul for a season, Dwayne Wade on the league minimum, right? Play there for two or three seasons and then go to the Lakers because the Lakers oh. aren't going to say no to you two to three years from now. You can go well, there whenever you want. You can go anywhere you want. The most persuasive of that would be that you're joining up one of the great teams instead of going to like yes. the Lakers, Clippers, whatever you're yep. saying, because otherwise just stay in the East. Like, you know what I mean? You're going to, you got to beat one team really that would have a crack at beating you in order to get to the NBA finals. And then once you get to the NBA finals, yeah. you never know what can take mm-hmm. place. But I mean, good grief. If you're going to try to do your own thing with a couple other guys and you've already got, you know, Westbrook, George, and Mello, and and Chris Paul, and James Harden, and Durant, and Curry, and Thompson, and Kawhi, and his crew, and Aldridge, and them over there. Like, why would you want to try to bust through the West? It's simple, man. The the toughest challenge will bring the greatest reward. And I think if if you're LeBron James, if you put yourself through that challenge for a higher risk of failure. I think the re- the reward at the end or other end of that, if you win a championship with the Lakers, if you lead that team back to the top and you dethrone the Warriors dynasty that everybody's saying they're going to win all these titles, if you do that, there is no better argument for you being the greatest player of all time. 
right? I think that's the reward at the end of the tunnel by going to the West. Whereas in the East, it's going to be the same old argument that a lot of people use against LeBron. Oh, he had an easy path. You know, he never had a play in the West. And you know what? That's a valid argument, I think, if you're talking about playoffs. I think that's a valid argument for people to have. Even though I still think LeBron, potentially, when it's all said and done, will be the GOAT. I think he will be the GOAT when it's all said and done regardless. But right now, that's a hole in the argument that people fairly use against him. And to beat that is to go West. And I think I think the better way to do it is with the Lakers, more so than what latching on with the Rockets. Because like Charks even said in his article, that's the equivalent of what Durant did going to Golden State. So I think that would also be used against LeBron as well. Oh, he just joined us an existing super team. So build your own super team with the Lakers and think about sustainability when you guys have guys like Ingram and Lonzo on that team, some young guys on that roster, adding two or three veterans. I think that could be the way to do it. Bring the Lakers back to the promised land and dethroning the Warriors. Could anything be better? If he came to the Clippers, that would be better. Isaac just wants him going to the Clippers. Nobody wants to be uh, hey, nobody wants you, to be Isaac. at the Cl- nobody <laughs> wants to be at the Clippers, Isaac. Come on. But what if he was the first one to break the Clippers curse? What if he's the one who brings the Clippers beyond the second round for the first time in history and maybe win a title? Like, wouldn't that be a big legacy too? Nobody cares about the Clippers, Isaac. <laughs> There is an argument for the Clippers when Chris Paul was there because he would could have joined up with his right. buddies, you know, the banana banana boat and yeah. and with the Clippers. But I think that argument's gone. Sadly, I'm sorry, Isaac. Let's yeah. uh, yeah, come on, come on, Isaac. Let's get serious. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna ask you one last question about the Western Conference, and that is one of our discussions has been there is the three teams, and then there is a massive separation between them and everybody else, at least in our mind's eye. Last week when we spoke, the four seed was the Portland Trailblazers. They have lost five games in a row since, okay? The four seed now, which is the last home court advantage slot in the Western Conference, is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are winners of two in a row. And thank God, didn't, I mean, you would have felt terrible if they would have fired Tibbs on Wednesday morning. Um, (laughs) 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 So thank God they held on to their coach. (laughs) 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 They are the four four seed right now. Um, I'm never letting you live that one down. Uh, It's all good. It was funny. (laughs) All right. So they're the four seed right now. In the end, after it's all said and done, I expressed my... uh, level of skepticism regarding Oklahoma City and their ability to get it together in a massive way. But when it's all said and done, who do you believe is going to be in that four seed behind Houston, the Warriors and Spurs, whatever order they're in? <laughs> it's a tough it's a tough question, you know, just to kind of give some context to that. You have the Wolves, Nuggets, Pelicans, Blazers, Jazz and Thunder. That's the 4 through 9 spots all within three and a half games of each other so oklahoma city is out of the playoffs right now but they're not far behind that four seed they're only three and a half games back and i think in the east right now we have the top four teams that everybody expected with you know the celtics Cavs, raptors bucks and with the west we have the top three we expected with warriors spurs and rockets all up top 
that fourth seed, I think it's going to end up the team that everybody expected, the Oklahoma City Thunder. When it's all said and done, they're going to win enough games to really bump themselves up to that spot. And the, the top four in each conference is going to look exactly how everybody predicted that it would. Maybe in a wow. different order, but the same four teams everybody expected. How about you? Yeah, I think you might be right because in the end, they've got the most talent. The other thing is how bad this has been. I mean, you're because you're, as soon as you start to think, you know, somebody's really onto something like Portland, they lose five in a row. Like Utah, they lose three in a row. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, true. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I've got to go watch this disgusting product in Memphis recently. And in the end, after after watching them get blown off the court by the Miami Heat last night, I'm I'm getting ready for this show today and I'm looking at the standings. I swear to God, they've won one friggin' home game in over a month. Wow. They have lost like 15 of 16. They have fired their coach in the middle of this. They're five games out of the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I don't even, there is no way to express how bad it has been. Teams just don't lose at that rate. They just don't. Like, nobody does, unless it's just uh, <laughs> an absurd a product that is attempting to lose that much. But the idea that you can lose 15 to 16 or whatever the hell it is and be five games out of the last playoff spot is patently absurd. And it speaks to once we get past those really good teams in the West, it's just a a free for all of teams that just aren't very good. They're just not. (laughs) You know, Verna, like they're five games back from the eight seed. And they're also one and a half games back from the top of the lottery standings. So you can go through either of those doors. And I know which door I'm going through. Uh, I I, I don't know. I don't know which one you want to choose, but hopefully, you know, if it's, if it's the playoff door, hopefully Mike Conley comes back really soon and he stays healthy because he'll change things. Well, no, I mean, that's the crazy thing, right? Because you are stuck in this moment where it's like, all right, if you get Mike Conley back, hell, if you won five in a row, you might be the damn, you know, whatever seed. Could be the sixth seed overnight. Yeah. On the other hand, do you just decide like, hey, no, we're just going to go. The conference is so bad that you can't just wave the white towel and call it a season. That's what's bizarre, right? Like we have been, we've gone through years where it took 50 wins to get to the playoffs. I don't know, like 500 might be the number. I don't know if the eight seed's going to have 41 wins. Maybe, probably. I mean, through 25 games, what? The eight seed right now has a losing record. Utah's 13 and 14. So I don't know. I what think 500 for be. the eight seed is relatively normal. I mean, I think I think it was a couple of years back. I forget which year it was. The year Oklahoma City missed the playoffs to the Pelicans. I think that was the last season, in the West at least, a team had over 500 for that eight seed spot. Like, I mean, you're right. Like there's a lot of 500 teams. It's not like it was. Okay. I just pulled up the standings. Like in 2014, 15, Oklahoma city missed the playoffs with a 45 and 37 record. The season prior to that 2013, 14, the eight seed was 49 and 33 Mavericks. 49 wow. and 33 was the eight seed. The 48 win Phoenix Suns missed the playoffs that year. <laughs> it's crazy. That's incredible. That wasn't that long ago. All right. Well, we got another week. Uh, what did we say? We got Kawhi coming back. We got that uh, the Sixers-Timberwolves uh, game that we were talking about. So we got a lot of stuff that's going on tonight. If you're listening to this uh, podcast on Tuesday, 
Um, and then certainly by the next time we speak, there will be a whole nother slew of things and we'll decide, we'll, we'll have other teams that we think are, and players that are going to be awesome or that we're convinced, uh, are dead by the time we get to next week. So I, I can't wait for it. Kevin, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks brother. See you, Chris. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes and we will talk to you next week. Ringer NBA show brought to you today by Stitch Fix Men. Between the parking and crowds at the mall, the endless browsing and lack of advice online, it's enough to make you want to rock the same t-shirt and jeans forever, but you can't. So let me tell you about Stitch Fix Men. Just go to stitchfix.com and tell them your sizes, your favorite type of clothes, and how much you want to spend. Your personal stylist then gets to work handpicking new clothes for you based on your style and budget. Five items are delivered right to your door. You try them on at home, and you only pay for what you keep. Shipping's free both ways, so anything you don't want, just send it back. And exchanges are always free, too. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. There's no subscription required. You can now get started. Stitchfix.com slash NBA. You also get 25% off when you keep all five items that they send you in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash NBA to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash NBA.